Welcome to the Oxygen Mass Podcast. If you are here as a parent or caregiver, educator or grandparent, we are glad to have you listening. This program is geared for the autism parent, but we welcome and invite all who are drawn to be here with us. I'm Tara and I'm your co-host along with my partner, Beth. The title of this podcast, The Oxygen Mask, is based on a metaphor. Just as you are instructed on an airplane to put on your own mask before helping others, we believe we need to practice helping ourselves as parents so we can best help our children. Hi, I'm Beth. At the beginning of each episode, we'll turn that metaphor, that symbol of an oxygen mask, into a concrete practice, pausing a few minutes each day to quiet our busy minds and breathe into our bellies provides a surge of stress-reducing neurochemicals. With practice over time, we actually build pathways in our brains that help reduce our stress response. So even if you hit play on this podcast about to enter multitasking mode, please take a moment of pause for yourself. Let's begin. Close your eyes softly and bring your attention to your feet as they contact the surface beneath them, rooting you to this moment. Roll your shoulders back. Let them settle in a strong, relaxed posture. Take a belly breath in through your nose. Feel the sensation of air in your nostrils, in the back of your throat. Exhale slowly. Notice your chest fall and your belly soften. Draw another deep breath into your belly. Envision the cool air swirling up across your forehead. Exhale, picturing the warm air going down the back of your neck and over your shoulders. Bring your attention to your face, your temples, your jaw. Take a final cleansing breath in. At the top of your in-breath, bend your elbows and softly place your hands on your hips. Exhale slowly, perhaps letting a smile curl the corners of your mouth. Hold this posture for a few seconds as you open your eyes. Again, welcome. We are so glad you're here. Hello, this is Tara, and I just want to welcome you to episode six. Um, And today's topic is information overload. So just a quick disclaimer, this episode is not a permission to stay in that denial avoidance mode that we talked about in episode four. Um, So if you feel like sticking your head in the sand, just come on out and we'll hold your (laughs) hand here. But we want to talk about the other end of the the spectrum of, um, you know, not sticking your head in the sand, but going into that information overload where you maybe are taking on too much stuff. Right. So earlier we had talked about what the diagnosis or evaluation process was like for each of us. And also how autism is especially confusing and discombobulating, Mm -hmm. difficult to pick up on. So let's go back and look at what was it that we did first as we were hearing the word autism mentioned or developmental delays. um, Tara, what did you do first? (laughs) I googled all the things. (laughs) I sat down and obsessively googled everything with my hair on fire and read it all and consumed it all and drove myself crazy. Mm -hmm. So it was, you know, I think that's what is pretty typical when given any sort of um, diagnosis that's sort of daunting, right? Like you want to know more things. Even if even if a professional has told you some things, you still go down and dive into stuff. So mm-hmm. that's where I started. And then kind of after I um, let the dust settle from that a little bit, I did remember sort of tentatively 
wanting to embrace, you know, this, this new thing, this autism was going to be a part of our life. So, um, I chose to attend one of the walks that was going on in the area and I thought, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to, you know, kind of get support and, you know, find some people and not feel alone in all of this and sort of opened myself up to feeling, you know, okay, this is going to be okay. I'm going to, I'm going to get some help Mm -hmm. and went to the walk. And I remember driving up to, you know, the parking area and they had put all kinds of um, like yard signs on the, on the way up. Mm -hmm. And it was just statistic after statistic of how awful and prevalent and all this really fearful stuff that Mm -hmm. I was just like, what? I don't, what? Oh my gosh. And another thing. And it was like a little stab to the heart every every sign I read. And so it was too much. It was overwhelming. And I was looking more for an uplifting sort of community and it didn't really start off that way. So Mm -hmm. I don't think I got there to that point of seeking out community um, (laughs) when we first were learning. Yeah, it wasn't quite right away, but that was sort of my first like, okay, I'm going to dip my toe in the water. And then it was just like, ah. (laughs) Right, right. Wow. I just remember um, when our early childhood people called one night to check in about our next visit and they said I wonder if the autism specialist shouldn't come next time Mm -hmm. and I was just like I I was pregnant with my daughter and my son was less than two then or and um I just was like fearful like what is around me what is causing autism and can I prevent it for this child and so fear just came in instantly um really powerfully and then I started reading, I think it was Temple Grandin's Thinking in Pictures and her story of early childhood and how she had words and then she kind of lost her language. Um, and I truly feared that autism somehow was going to take my kid or that everything I was seeing right now was going to reverse itself. And mm-hmm. I was just reading for the wrong purposes. I was reading to try to ma- match what I was learning to what I was seeing in my life and my child and that was just not the right frame of mind yeah well I mean it goes back to that discombobulating you know you're Mm -hmm. trying your best but it yeah ultimately you think you're doing the right thing and then you're like oh this isn't helping it's just feeding the fear right right and I remember when the ASD specialist who we later became friends with at one point um looked across the table at me and said you need to stop reading like in all it was the most mm-hmm. serious advice and space <laughs> yeah. that she had addressed me with and and that was probably the first piece of advice that actually settled in and I, I reduced my reading load for sure um, but she was really concerned about my sleep and well-being I think because I was just reading and taking in too much and I just had this attitude overall of okay, we're going to figure this out. We're going to get a plan in place. We're going to do some therapies. We're going to get over this hurdle on our way to having a normal childhood. And that was yeah, totally off the mark, but um, right. it was what my attitude was. Like it was some other kind of medical diagnosis. Like we're going to heal and move forward, you know? And I think that's, it's almost like biologically ingrained as a parent, right? Like, Mm -hmm. okay, we're going to, we're going to fix this for you. And and I think we as parents do that on a number of levels, but Mm -hmm. certainly for something like this, it it takes a shift in, okay, this isn't something, yeah, that you fix to be normal. It's a new normal and it's a new way of being. So, Mm -hmm. so what would you go back and tell yourself at that time? Um, for me, I, people told me this. It's still this is still the same child. This is mm-hmm. still your child. 
Um, this doesn't undermine or erase all of the joys, quirks, strengths that you know about your child. Um, but I just remember when you when I first heard ASD mentioned, that was like the lens that I saw everything through. Like, oh, maybe that's happening because of autism as well. And I never saw it that way before. Mm-hmm. But so this is still the same child. And, um, and that autism is not evil. It isn't separate from your child. It's part of who he is and, and it will always be. There's so many threads that carry through and make your child who they are. And autism is just part of that fabric. You can't unweave that. And um, it's a different way of seeing and being in the world. Um, Again, I couldn't have known or had those Mm -hmm. attitudes early on, I don't think, in our, you know, what the water in our society is around autism and the stigma and the misunderstanding. But um, I wish I could tell myself that and really hear it. Yeah, I think it took me a long time to get to that point too, that it, realizing that it's just a different way of being in the world. And I think that's something I would go back and tell myself right away too. Like, it's okay. It's mm-hmm. just a different way of being. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I would probably go back to and just remind myself that I am the right person for to be a parent to this child. And I don't always like that cliche of, you know, t- um, special parents for special kids or whatever. Like, I, yeah. I'm not any more special than the next person. Um, and I think, so I'm not like some sort of superhero that I'm doing this because that's kind of ridiculous, but because um, it's just you, you just do what you do. And But I do think I'm not a perfect parent, but I'm the perfect parent for my child. Um, and so I think I would go back and tell myself that or to anybody else that might be listening is that you are the right person to parent this child just as you are. Um, and you might need help doing it in different ways, but just accept that it's kind of this vulnerable path, um, but it's also very enriching, and you're doing a good job. Mm-hmm. And I would, I think, don't give up. I wish I had told myself about, about this, my role as a parent, not to give up my knowledge of my child and my role with him. Because um, I think in fear and fatigue mode, I just went too far and gave up my lens like okay if I missed that autism was one of the factors going on here for my child but then these professionals picked it up and told me what was going on and maybe I'm not quite qualified to parent him like they seem to have all these great strategies and ideas um, and I don't and so therefore if I I might not be the right person. So that was just fear and vulnerability. And yeah, I remember really thinking my first thought, and this was part of this action mode that I go into, but I really thought I need to be a parent and a therapist. I need mm. to yeah. learn all the OT strategies and the speech oh, strategies, yeah. and I need to be implementing them. Why Why settle for one hour a day when I could do oh, 10 I hours a day? Absolutely you know? took on that role too. And I, I think some of that is okay because I think we are our kids own best teachers so like reinforcing Mm -hmm. what they're learning in therapy is really good like I I like that but Mm -hmm. I definitely did that too like became yeah like let's we're gonna do all the stuff you did in OT all week right (laughs) right and it can be a little much too and also naming strengths of that I already have myself Mm -hmm. as a parent like I love to play I love to um, explore out in parks and paths and with my kids mm-hmm. and that is 
something that has been a connection point all throughout, no matter what's going on in our lives. Um, but to like assert and name those strengths yeah. instead of disappear them, <laughs> yeah. erase them and replace them with more professional criteria. For yeah, parenting. that's super healthy and really a mm-hmm. smart thing to do because I think we don't often recognize that the things that come easiest to us are, are our strengths and what we bring to the table and what makes us good people and good parents. So right. naming them is a great idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think what else I'd go back and tell myself is just chill the F out. <laughs> you know, so many parents um, have since told me, you know, that it's a marathon, not a sprint. And I wish I had kind of um, known that really early on. Like it felt very like, oh my gosh, now we know we need to do all this stuff and, you know, read all the things and, and um, I think fairly early on, I recognized that that was kind of overwhelming and that we just needed to take it one step at a time mm-hmm. and just, you know, one foot in front of the other. Right. And again, it's so hard for that to sink in at the time. But yes, chill out. <laughs> um, and part of, yeah, for me, I feel like I just didn't take that in. I thought I was so like, this is not about me. It's about yeah. my child that I let all of these pieces of advice or insights sort of bounce off kind of ricochet off my hard head Mm -hmm. Um, I do remember being in a parent group at one point in early childhood and they were talking about like not climbing anger mountain with your child Mm -hmm. and um yeah ways to stay well and it was talking through grief um and denial and things like that and um I just remember feeling impatient like Mm -hmm this isn't about the kids like let's get to the stuff that matters for my kid yeah like yeah. this is and I don't want to talk about me here I want to talk strategies yeah. I want to talk tools and yeah because it's almost like you don't you're like well it doesn't matter you know right. I don't I don't matter what matters here is my kid um, but that's like the whole message of the oxygen mask right like we need to help ourselves first in order to help our child right. so that's yeah very our, good advice our mental and physical health matter for our child like that is a news flash for many parents because we just yeah we go too far from there and are wandering for information and yeah mm-hmm. and I think for myself and I don't know I we, we've talked about this before like the, just that whole information gathering always happens it seems like at night you're on the computer mm-hmm. and you're going down the rabbit hole of Google <laughs> mm-hmm. and getting caught up in those things that might not be true for you or healthy for you and your family and so I would give the advice of sleep. Now I know that sometimes that's really not possible with some kids with autism because they have very, you know, um, erratic sleep patterns, but do yourself a favor and not contribute to the lack of sleep by getting on the internet and, you know, just getting wrapped up and and lost in time on that, Mm -hmm. you know? So you got to notice like, it's not that you can't go in and research things. Certainly you can, if that's helpful, but notice where that is, where your motivations are coming from for it. Are you acting out of fear or scarcity, anxiety? And where does that f- present in your body? What does that feel like? Mm. You know, like for me, I don't even think I recognized, I kind of did, but I didn't recognize like how chronic it was, but I carry my my tension in my shoulders. I still do, but mm. I think for so long, my shoulders were almost up near my ears. <laughs> and yeah. it was just constantly that tension because there was so much going on and so I would go get massages because you know I'm trying to practice self-care and that was lovely and helpful for about an hour Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then it would go right back up to being super tight again and it's it kind of speaks to just that underlying 
stress and, mm-hmm. and chronic fatigue and stress that I was under. Mm-hmm. Um, now I feel like it's, you know, my shoulders are a lot more relaxed and because I've practiced and we've gotten out of some of the really difficult times, but, you know, noticing where that presents for yourself mm-hmm. and recognizing that that's where, where are you operating from? You know, why are you researching something and right. why are you doing what you're doing? Is it out of fear and anxiety or is it out of a healthier place? Mm-hmm. And when your shoulders are creeping up or your mm-hmm. jaw is tense, or that's often when you're not breathing very deeply either. Mm-hmm. So that's why we do this breath exercise at the beginning of every episode. Like, give your brain the oxygen like we need, and that affects our muscles. And anyway, I'm, sure. I'm learning this and saying it out loud to myself. Yeah. Like, practice, practice, practice. Like, I just got back into a yoga practice in a, a couple of weeks ago. And so, yeah, yeah. it's crazy how, how just that um, taking a breath really resets your body and mm-hmm. re- your body remembers how to relax. Right. And it remembers how to stay tense. So yep. let's, let's uh, balance the memory. <laughs> right. Muscle memory. So just thinking of some habits to stay sane, right? These are your oxygen mask components that we're thinking of for for today. Just the idea of just being a good steward of what you will take in and when you'll take it in. So I kind of mushed these two words together, information and relationship. And I think of information ship. Think of when you're gathering and taking in information like you're entering into a relationship. You, it requires energy, intentionality, self-awareness, and boundaries to be really healthy. So information ship. And like Tara said, what's your posture when you're taking in information? Are you thinking, are you coming from a place of fear, fix it, not feeling like you're enough? Um, or are you sort of calm, curious, thinking, oh, that kind of resonates with our experience? Um, and be firm with yourself. You might not. You might need to say, you know, not right now with that information. Not right now with that mm-hmm. article. Maybe later and set it aside. Um, and I found I don't know, like that overall, the most relevant stuff really does circle back for us. It's yeah. weird and it's yeah ironic and surprising. Absolutely. But if it matters, I'll, another a different friend will bring it up or. And this is, goes beyond just your Facebook feed and the circulation of articles <laughs> out there. But I'm like, the same good pieces will come up. I might not have paid attention to it the first time around, but it'll catch my eye the second. Yeah, I think that's very true. Like stuff comes around that you need, mm-hmm. right? And it just so notice that too. Yeah, and I and I think of a visual with this whole information ship. Think about your hand. Like if the information is an object. Are you holding it and grasping it with kind of a tight fist, like you're there's not enough of it, you need to consume it now sort of attitude? Or are you kind of holding it with an open hand and let it able to let it go mm-hmm. or able to let it settle into your brain if it's something that fits right now? Yeah, for sure. So I, I think that's really important. I like that um, concept of being discerning and figuring out what works for you. And it reminds me of, um, you know, back when I was attending a lot of uh, conferences and conventions for photography, um, and I would go to these 
massive you know conventions that would have multiple speakers and all kinds of wonderful things and so eager to learn and you know know how to do it right and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff and I, I've even experienced this at like autism conferences right mm-hmm. like there's all this information and you just want to grab onto all of it and and apply all of it yeah. because <laughs> you've got people standing up and telling you this is how to be successful and how to do it um, and I learned after going to a couple of those that I'd come home exhausted, right? Like, and, and with pages of lists of things to do and implement into my business or whatever. And, and it was too much. And so I remember going to the last one that I went to that was actually probably the most impactful. Um, I thought, you know what, I'm going to take very few notes um, and I'm going to just listen and mm-hmm. take one small nugget of information away from each session with me and then just leave the rest. Yeah. And, and know that there's a hundred thousand different ways to do it and, mm-hmm. and take what works for me and leave the rest and mm-hmm. just thank you next. So yeah, that worked really well for me. And I've applied that then, like I said, to autism conferences or to other information that I've, you know, trying to take in as soon as I start to feel overwhelmed and realize I don't have to have all of this. Mm-hmm. Like you said, it'll come back around the most relevant stuff. Yeah. It's funny that you say that about conferences. I think the last autism conference I went to, I um, I still like went on the website of the conference and I saved like every presenter's handouts and right. I have it all there. So I have it so all. You have it. Uh, but I am less <laughs> attached to the idea that I need to comb through it all. Like, yeah. So I'm still so hoarding and gathering. <laughs> right. It's like a recovery process. Baby or steps. Something. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I just I really do firmly believe though that what will what is important for you to implement will come around and the rest mm-hmm. of it will be let go and move on or it'll come back to you again. So mm-hmm. yeah, you don't have to you don't have to hoard it. But if right. it makes you feel better for now. I don't know. I don't know where I'm at with all of this. Um, and people will always offer up, have you tried this diet? Right? Mm. Autism is like this sticky glue of <laughs> advice and insight yeah. and stories and connections yep. that people want to share with you. And people usually have good intentions. Um, but, you know, oh, what about that supplement? Or I heard about this therapy. And um, in episode two, we kind of talked about ways to like not go there with pivot phrases mm-hmm. or, yeah, we don't spend much time talking about that or but what we're into now is this and right. um, ways to, to just not enter in. Because if that's not the conversation you want to have at that time, you get to determine that to some extent if you're an equal partner in that conversation. <laughs> yeah. And I think, so, you know, some of those well-intended uh, people, it, it goes back to that whole point of autism being... Uh, discombobulating right Mm -hmm. there's no one protocol and Mm -hmm. so people are grasping at all the protocols all the Mm -hmm. time and so it's no one's fault it's just kind of the nature of it but Mm -hmm. it's your opportunity to be discerning for yourself on what's going to work for you yeah and another area of discernment really is what you so we've been talking about information which is everywhere all the time it seems like but what about the thing the kind of supports therapies interventions that you actually pursue um I remember our I think it was on my first time with our new pediatrician um he's really like lighthearted and jokes a lot but he was very serious and looking at me and just sober in a way he just said you really need to think about all the resources that it the resources that it will take to pursue any support or intervention that you do financial resources emotional resources, logistics, um, time, 
your child's resources. So he just really, he wasn't saying don't pursue things, but be really grounded in your approach and understanding of what it's going to take over the long term to sustain that commitment, you know? Yeah, that's great advice. Um, I think, yeah, I'm, I do this in my everyday life is prioritize a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. and with three teenage boys and a number of things going on in their lives and multiple jobs and all this stuff, I I have to. So it's kind of where I default Mm -hmm. to, but I use that too, when we were trying to decide, um, what things needed to be, um, adjusted or therapies that we were going to do when Alex was young. And so we, you know, did one thing at a time and, and I really thought about what's the biggest priority. And I remember his early intervention center too asked me, well, what's the one thing that you want to start working on first? And, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes that's hard to pick apart because there's maybe a lot of fires that need to be put out. But um, we, you know, talked about transitions from the car into the store and like, how do, how do we make that easier? And so you start with that. And then once, you know, you kind of master that, then you build to the next thing. But really taking into, into account, like, what are the fires that have to be put out right now? But also keeping in mind, like the longer term goals, like what's mm-hmm. going to what's going to help mold your child for the better in the long run. Mm -hmm. And I think that kind of boils down to, um, you know, gauging that decision-making too has to, your child's mood and, and, and whether they enjoy it matters. Mm -hmm. Right. So certainly we have to make our kids do things sometimes that are not fun, like take medicine or whatnot. But when it comes to therapies, is it effective if it's not enjoyable? It doesn't always need to be an uphill battle. And maybe now is not the right time for that particular therapy. And you can circle back around to it when you need to. Mm -hmm. And trying to take on all the battles all at once is really not effective, Mm -hmm. (laughs) especially with young kids. Um, So, you know, picking the one thing that you're going to work on in a day or a week or a month and then gauging that progress over that time and then moving on to the next thing. So mm-hmm. I think about even like what part of the day where would be right. most successful for, especially with young kids, like you're probably not going to commit to a one to three o'clock, whatever right. um, speech thing for a three-year-old or yeah. something, you know, or um, that end of the day, <clears throat> you know, that five, I always call it the witching hour from mm-hmm. five to seven. They were just wild. And like, is that yeah. a time to like really implement life lessons? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, um, you know, that reminds me about, um, when we did OT for a long time, every, at the end of every visit, the therapist, would, oh, you could take this home. You could do this at home. And I was so with little by little, like twice a week having that input, I was so overwhelmed with all the resources. All I knew how to do was ask better questions and ask clarification, mm-hmm. but that just invited more information. And mm-hmm. um, at one point, I think I created like this grid of all the different games and exercises, like, and then we would like roll a dice to play one of them. And oh, it was sure. really just me trying to like consolidate all <laughs> like these months and months worth of information and I don't know that it was ever very successful that we really did carry through a lot of that home practice stuff um but I just remember feeling really like it was too much and I couldn't implement any of it and I just think that's so common and that's a clue that if it's you can't even select one thing out of a group of things to pursue then you might be overwhelmed you might need to yeah pause or tell your therapist you know what we don't need takeaways for about a month or something you know well I do think and that goes back to your um 
you when you were talking about mm-hmm. becoming a parent therapist, right? Mm. You have to be the parent first. And sometimes you are just your child's safe place to land and, and mm-hmm. place to just be. And that is very important. And, and so doing, yeah, stepping back and not doing all of those things is, yeah. is just as important as, you know, trying to affect change. Mm-hmm. So, And that is actually, the stepping back is actually powerful too. Right. I have a friend who was like, yeah, no, to her therapist. Yeah, no, that's not going to happen. She said, yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, I could never say that. But like, <laughs> good for you. That's healthy. Yeah, that's super healthy. I think that's <laughs> fantastic. Um, and I think, you know, that even goes back to celebrating and affirming, notice what you're already doing. So like by stepping back, like you said, there's power in that. Mm -hmm. Um, don't dismiss that you have those own contributions and your own strengths and your own way of parenting. You know, like you mentioned that you really like being outdoors and Mm -hmm. being active. I think I tend to bring a lot of sarcasm and levity to our family and, you know, kind of I like to have a high expectations, but with a lot of uh, goofiness, you know, and that's just, that's part of my strengths as a parent. And so recognizing Mm -hmm. those and um, yeah, just affirming yourself. So, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and seeing, I mean, yeah, I love that. I love seeing my kids say, let's go play in the snow. And Mm -hmm. I know that's because I've been dragging their little snow suit covered butts out (laughs) to the snow for years, you know, Um, but ways that, like what swimming is so good for my son and, and daughter, but especially for him across kind of working both sides of his body, OT kind mm-hmm. of goals, um, and just little social opportunities, ways that we can kind of be in the community in ways that fit where we're at right now. Right. Um, uh, what else is, oh, and also I think about um, things that are part of our family's norms that are really good and support my kids and their needs. So mm-hmm. um, this isn't my norm individually, but for my family as a whole to be well, we need to not have a lot of planned evenings. Mm-hmm. And and that's just what I've learned through crashing and burning, right. pushing us too far. Yeah. Um, and so now I'm learning to just embrace like, wow, one night a week of maybe something planned is good enough yeah. for us. And to keep grounding myself in that instead of comparing and seeing what other people yeah. are doing. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of, um, that's a really a good observation. And sort of like, if you can't beat them, join them, right? Like if right. your family's sort of been. like struggling <laughs> against something, then maybe you should just go with it. Right, right. For the summer, they've been saying, I don't want to be gone five days in a row. I want, you know, yeah. and so that, they need that okay, downtime. I got to yeah. listen to that. Yeah, I think that's really important too. Um, and I think, you know, acknowledging like that downtime and that they don't want all of that that busy time in the evening, really that that gives you time or it's important to acknowledge and affirm that your child is what they're doing every day and the work that it takes them to mm-hmm. navigate life during the day and that even, you know, therapy is as productive and school as productive as that is, they still need that time to recharge. And mm-hmm. so acknowledging that your child is working very hard, um, probably harder than most because of the different sensory things that they have to take in and that it's just a lot more challenging to just be in the world, mm-hmm. um, that that takes um, a lot and it's super impressive to me. And so I mm-hmm. think, yeah, recognizing that they need maybe a little bit more downtime and we don't have to do all the things all the time. So, right. yeah. we um, Since little kid ages, we had um, this book, um, 
have you filled a bucket today? Have oh, you yes. read that? Yeah. Everybody has an invisible bucket. We've and, used that often. Right. Yeah. And it's a, a kind of about positive and negative and relationships and filling each other up. But that's really a way to think about ourselves and our kids and our energy and what mm-hmm. fills us up and what taxes us and things like that. Right. The things that depletes your buckets and the things that fill your buckets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's really, it's it. that's kind of a good analogy too for, for kids that are visual thinkers. Yeah. You know, they can kind of picture like... Is your bucket full or a bucket empty right. today? So. Was that a bucket dipper, we'll yep. say? Like, was that a bucket dipping kind of experience? Exactly. And also, um, acknowledging just what it takes to do all of these things. The energy it takes to just keep things moving, to which is like school throughout the year. You're, you're monitoring, you're communicating, you're going to meetings, you're preparing for meetings, you're um, checking in on how what services and supports are happening. And anything that you pursue, you're maintaining. And then there's also seasons where you're going to have to push and pursue new things and fill out forms and make calls to places and people that you've never made before. And um, that is an extra level of input and requirement. And I I think embracing and accepting that there are different seasons. There's seasons of, okay, we're okay right now. We're, we're maintaining. We're, mm-hmm. And then there's seasons of reaching out. And again, I think with an open hand, think about that posture. Like, hopefully we're not like grasping mm-hmm. like for a life jacket, right. <laughs> drowning in water, but reaching out and building out your village. Um, asking for help is vulnerable and pursuing new things is vulnerable but it also grows your web, your support network. And there are seasons where you're going to grow and expand and seasons where you're going to maintain. Yeah, I think that's really important to talk about not only your kids' energy, but recognizing your energy level Mm -hmm. and that it's worth guarding. Um, Mm -hmm. Your energy is precious, and so where are you going to put it? Mm -hmm. Um, I know that the other thing, a little technique that has helped me over um, the years in times of duress and difficulty is that I've used a gratitude journal, and I know that's not uncommon knowledge, but mm-hmm. um, you know, just taking time every day to kind of recognize what I'm grateful for <clears throat> ends up making, <coughs> excuse me, making me look for those things during the day. And I think if you're really struggling with um, autism and your child, and kind of you know teasing that apart, the, the autism from the child, and you know, kind of uh, looking for ways to lessen that frustration around it, you could even change that gratitude journal into wins that your child has had each day what are mm-hmm. the small little victories mm-hmm. um, or ways that you've rocked being a parent you know mm-hmm. what are your strengths but really <clears throat> taking that time to make it a, a positive thing is super powerful and it really mm-hmm. like if you if you do that over a couple of months you're going to be floored at how that just shifts your energy shifts your family's energy mm-hmm. and it changes things it's mm-hmm. really a, a powerful technique so mm-hmm. maybe i said this in another episode but in the mindfulness class we did last winter, um, the facilitator was saying like genetically or, or whatever, our brains are like Teflon and Velcro. Like oh, for the negative cool. things, it's like Velcro where for survival, we have always held on to the bad, the potentially dangerous. the sure. and, then, um, t- and then the good things can be kind of like slippery and they just slip by. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, they happen, but we don't hold on to them. We don't remember them as well as we do the negative and that's been a survival strategy yeah but that's if we hold up and name and claim the positives we're 
building pathways that are a little more balanced and healthy and giving us good like endorphins and things. I'll exactly. try to find a little reference for that because I go back to yeah. it a lot when I try to remind myself. I love those good. little <clears throat> mantras and easy things to remember. So mm-hmm. yeah, Teflon and Velcro, that makes sense. And part of, so what we talked about in this whole episode was information overload, intervention overload even, um, and being discerning. Um, and that also applies to the people in your life. So we're going to dedicate the next episode into just how to apply these ideas to your relationships, the people around you. Um, That's how we build up the village and the communities that we need and want to be part of. But um, so yeah, so we're going to apply these ideas to our relationships and support networks. Yeah, and we just thought that is a whole nother episode because relationships are um, can be kind of sticky and and there's a lot of things um, to talk about there. So. Um, So today we kind of want you to take this away with you as we wrap up this episode. Um, Permission granted to not do all the things, read all the things, and try all the things. So just take this as your permission slip. Um, Mm -hmm. Do what's right for your family at this moment. And uh, just remember that, you know, like we've mentioned before, that life's a a spiral staircase and, you know, those things will circle back around. um, And so you don't need to do it all at once. Exactly. We just want to, at the end here, do a little shout out. Thank you to Rachel, who is our volunteer editor. She listens to our audio files and clips out the fumbles (laughs) and adds all the uh, intro and closing together. Rachel, we're really grateful for you and your um, willingness to just jump on in and apply your skills for this project. Yay, Rachel. Yeah. And then check out our show notes. We're going to have some good stuff in there this week for sure. Thanks a lot. Thanks, everybody. Bye. invite you to sit with or walk, kid chase, drive, or snuggle up with today's conversation in the back of your mind. Did you find kernels of joy or reassurance? Where did you feel some resistance? Let us know so we can learn and grow together. You can comment and subscribe to the podcast at www.cea4, that's the number four, autism.org. This is Communities Engaging Autism's website. Share the podcast with members of your village to strengthen those essential connections. And above all, please secure your own oxygen mask before helping others.